Good morning, everyone. I'm not. I will read. Oh, hello. Sorry, I'll read the gospel um, within my talk, and I'll tell you when you need to stand. Sorry, Alf. <laughs> As Brian mentioned at the beginning of our service, uh, we are in a series at the moment in this church looking at what it means to be a family. We are family. And I was asked to speak this Sunday on caring. So I couldn't help but bring up that title, But Who Cares? In preparing for this service, um, I got told about two, three weeks ago that I'd be speaking. And recently I found myself with just so much that God's laid on my heart. Um, I've been a lot going on in my own personal life in going to talks and hearing stuff and uh, reading a book that's really been challenging me. But I came to a staff meeting on Tuesday morning. And I kind of let out to everyone what I was thinking of speaking on. Uh, and then at the end, Mandy pulled me to a side and said, Adam, you need to preach on one thing, not 20. So <laughs> I tried to narrow it down to one thing for you today. Um, I want to begin by sharing about a book I was recently handed uh, by a friend. And as I said, I started to read a few weeks ago. The book is called The Irresistible Revolution. I have it here as proof I'm reading a book. To some of you who know me well, it's quite a miracle that I'm reading. Um, it's written by a man called Shane Claiborne from America, who is part of a Christian movement called The Simple Life. The book begins with Shane in his teenage years uh, when he's in a youth group and how he struggled with what it meant to be a Christian. He speaks about how he enjoyed going to his youth group. The events were fun, but did it really draw him closer to Christ? Did bouncy castles or rojo balls, did that draw him closer to Christ? Is that what Jesus called us to do together? When he was a university student, he made a huge change to his life. And that is where he began to discover what his Christianity, Christian life was really about, what his calling was. Him and his friends would go spend every night with the homeless and sometimes started staying on the streets with them. After university, he then spent a summer with Mother Teresa in Calcutta and then an internship at Willow Creek, two opposite scales of a Christian spectrum. You've got Calcutta, the poverty that goes on there, and Willow Creek, probably one of the wealthiest churches in America, doing a fantastic ministry in what they do as well. He finally settled in a poor community in America and began what he calls the simple life. And it works like this. If anyone needs something, they work together to provide it. Healthcare, a bike, access to a washing machine. They share everything they have and hold nothing back. And they are passionate about serving and caring for each other and for the poor community around them. This may remind some of you of what the early church did in Acts. Now I'm only halfway through the book. And I've been massively challenged by this book, and it's really made me take a step back and relook at myself and my life and my walk with God, and especially my ministry of young people. I spoke with a friend this week and shared ideas that had come about from reading this, about what I could do with the youth ministry and how it could be more caring and we could focus on the homeless. I had an idea of going down to Virginia Beach on a Friday night instead of having youth here at church and going to spend time with the people there. But having speaking to someone else who tried that, it's not the most advisable thing to do, apparently. And I'd have to get form signed, parents' mission, all that kind of stuff. But anyway, my friend's response, um, when I told him what my ideas were, it wasn't quite as you'd expect, or at least it wasn't what I expected. 
He didn't say, sounds great, go do it. Instead, he said, you've read what someone else has done, and you want to copy it, but have missed the point in why he did it. He did, it's because he became convicted by the love of God for the poor and homeless. He didn't make anyone a project, the guy in the book. He made his ministry his life. If you're ready to make it a lifestyle and you feel convicted on your um, spirit that God's calling you there, then great, go ahead. But don't just make Friday night youth a project for the homeless. And he is so right. Sometimes we can hear about something someone did and we want to do the same action believing it will enrich our spiritual lives. But actually, the enriching happens when our hearts change and then the actions follow. It's not the action which should come first. I believe we all want to make a difference, to have the heart of God that God wants us to and to do his work. After all, we say it every week in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done. I can highly recommend this book, show it you one last time, um, but it does come with a warning. Prepare to be challenged in your lifestyle. And I really encourage anyone who doesn't read Christian books, um, literally on how to uh, not just be, what's the word I'm looking for? Fictional, but the actual um, advice on how to live your life and testimonies of other people. I haven't read much, but it seriously has had a big effect on me in the list that I've read. So I've realized that I'm not ready to go and live with the homeless. I've realized that that is not my calling. It's a calling for some, but God's calling for me isn't that. And I want to now come around to focusing on the key verse for today. Galatians 6.10, as we heard earlier. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. The theme is we are family. Let's get it right within our family of believers. We are all called to do this. We might not all be called to live with a homeless, but I know by coming here, we've all said that we are part of this church, we're part of this family. So therefore, we all have a calling to fulfill that we um, do good to all people, especially those who belong to a family of believers. I want to focus on a few specific scriptures, which we can use as a guide in how we approach caring for our family around us. Let's begin with the whole reason God cares for us and why we should care for one another. That is love. John 13, 34 to 35 says this. A new commandment I give to you, it's Jesus' words, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I like to think of this as the 11th commandment. It's so interesting how Jesus tells his disciples that this is a commandment, and he uses that word commandment, as in the Old Testament when we heard the Ten Commandments from Moses, which we all know to be part of the early laws of God. Now I know that the youth here, Thomas, is thinking, but Adam, one of the commandments is already about love. Love your neighbor as yourself. How is this a new commandment? Good question, Thomas. Jesus doesn't say to love each other as we love ourselves in this one. He tells us we must love each other as God loves us. There's a huge difference between loving ourselves and the way that God loves us. And we'll look at that in a second as we come to see what Jesus um, did when we read the new gospel reading. So if we must care how Jesus cared, 
Let's look at what he said and did using a well-known example of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Jesus cared for them by serving them. The ultimate sign that you care is that you are willing to put yourself below someone else and serve their needs before your own. So let's just, if we stand as we read the gospel reading. Listen to the good news proclaimed in the gospel of John, chapter 13, reading verse 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I, wash your, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a, sorry, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet... He put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the gospel of Christ. You'd like to be seated. The first lesson I want to pick out from uh, that reading is being a servant is voluntary. Any of the disciples could have volunteered for that lowly task, but not one of them made the slightest move. So the room was filled with proud hearts and dirty feet. Interestingly, those disciples were willing to fight for a throne. They argued about who would be next to Jesus in heaven, but not for a towel to wash each other's feet. Jesus graciously took upon himself the role of a house servant and washed the feet of those who refused to serve one another. Jesus did not come into the world to be served, but to serve other people. He proved this fact by giving his life in order to save many people. Secondly, being a servant is about giving rather than receiving. Christians are to be servants of both God and people. But most of us approach our lives, our business, our work, and life in general, with the attitude, what can I get? Rather than, what can I give? To be a servant of God, we must be servants of people as Jesus was. When we serve, we think first of the one we are trying to serve. 
Thirdly and finally, I like sticking to freeze, Alan. Thirdly, thirdly and finally, being a servant is being like Christ. Jesus says to his disciples, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. It says that in John 13, 15. Jesus practiced what he taught. In this passage, he is teaching his disciples about humble service. So we need to see others as Christ sees them. Let me remind you of Matthew 7:12 as well. It reads this, treat others as you expect others to treat you back. And one more statement from Jesus found in John 13:17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Or in another translation, blessed is a place with a word happy. You receive happiness through doing them. Notice that the statement says, you'll be happy or you'll be blessed through doing them. Just studying or discussing processes has no blessing or happiness involved. So let us be obedient servants like Jesus did when he came to die on the cross. If we strive to be a church family, fulfilling the Galatians 6.10 verse, which I read at the beginning, or to be an Acts 4.34 church, like in the early days, where it says there were no needy persons among them, we have to look at ourselves and how we treat each other within our church family. On occasions, I believe that we always fall into two categories. At times, we are available to care for each other, and at other times, we need caring for. And we find ourselves falling into both those brackets at different times in our lives. So there are, therefore, two problems as Christians and within our own church that we have. One is a people who have the ability to care or serve, but they do nothing about it. And the second problem is a people who need caring for, but are unwilling to seek help, be it because of no trust or be it because of pride. But we see it as a weakness. I want to revisit a challenge that Mandy spoke about two weeks ago. Mandy spoke about Jesus' Jesus' ministry and how the majority of his time he would say to people, let's meet around a meal table. As, we, as I read just now in the Last Supper, he washed a feet around the meal table. Mandy encouraged us all to invite each other around uh, to each other's houses in groups um, to, to meet around the meal table, to do as Jesus did, as Jesus tells us to do as he did. And that is a pretty easy place to begin when it comes to caring. Do we agree? I'm now looking for a reaction. Yeah? Invited to a meal table is a pretty easy thing to do. Okay, I'm going to ask for a bit more participation now, and just bear with me. I would like to see a display of hands, and I want you all to see it too. And I'm not going to ask who's invited someone around. I don't believe in that. That's not fair. What I would like to know, though, is who has actually been invited. So someone's invited you, and you've gone and had a meal over the last two weeks to someone's house for a meal since Mandy gave that message two weeks ago. If you'd just like to raise your hand, I've been invited. Okay, I want everyone just to look around. Okay, thank you. You want to put your hands down? On a Sunday service, the message was that we must follow Jesus, do as he did. From the Bible, Jesus met around a meal table, and the challenge we all just agreed was an easy one. Let's invite people around our dinner tables to share that time with them and to get to actually be a family. I think it was ten hands. When I was preparing this message, um, 
I admit, I, I didn't know what the reaction would be. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. Should I mention this or should I not? And I dipped my toe in the water in the 7 o'clock and, and mentioned it. And it was received really well. But in between the services, I sat there after having a lot of people come up to me and said they really appreciated that challenge. And it actually made my heart heavy. But there's so many of us who have that heart of saying we want to go close as a family. And we hear and we look and we study it. As I go back to that verse, which I mentioned earlier, to John 13:17, It says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. We've heard them and we've studied them and we learned about them two weeks ago, but we're not doing them. If we truly want to be that body of Christ, we need to actually take up that challenge. And it's not responsibility of a few. It's responsibility of every single person here. Every single person here. I want to bring back the title of my sermon. We are family, but do we care? Do we care enough to invite each other around for a meal? A final thing that I didn't write down, which was shared to me this morning afterwards, um, which I have permission to share, is um, someone in the 7 o'clock shared to me a recent sad thing that they had gone through where a new family had come to church within the last year and invited 10, 10 groups uh, to their household for a meal. And uh, I was then he then shared with me afterwards that after that, no one invited back. Not one invited back. And then that family left our church. And do we wonder why? Are we really a family that they've been invited to, or are we not? Do we care? If we spend time with each other, the barriers which stop us being able to serve each other are removed. We learn to trust each other. We learn to drop our pride. And it is easier to love as Jesus commanded us to love and to serve as Jesus commanded us to serve. Sometimes serving can be in physical way of blessing someone with finance or a meal. But most of the time, it's through relationship, through love. We all need to be doing this on an individual level within our lives. I want to share another verse from 1 Timothy 5.8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Are we providing for our household? Are we providing for our church family? Jesus' words, um, Paul's words from my letter affirm, if we are not, we have denied the faith and are worse than an unbeliever. So what practical things can we do to make a change? It's all good listening, but what practical things can we actually do? And what can we do this week? Just like the meals, Jesus didn't say, follow me in a year's time. When Jesus called his disciples, he didn't say, go sort your lives out and come follow me. Jesus says to do it now. So what can we do right now? Firstly, it all begins with prayer. We need our hearts to be the same as God, to love as he loves. That new commandment, love as he loves. Else we're just focusing on our own hearts and our own actions. We're doing things without the love of God. We're doing things on our own strength. And that's never going to work. Secondly, the church has a pastoral caring team led by Sharon. Sharon here. There we are. Everyone's, just put your hand at Sharon. So I want everyone to see who Sharon is. Sharon's there. And there's so much stuff that goes on in the background which we don't see. And there's so much need for more. And if you have it on your heart that you actually want to be called upon and you want to be able to see where people need help and come and care, and please, please speak to Sharon. I know she'd love to speak to you. But 
also in that, if you're going to do that, make sure that you mean it. Make sure that you mean it. I know that it's been shared that before, a long time ago, we had a sign-up at the back for people to sign up to different ministries. And lots of people put names down for pastoral care and, and giving meals. And it was shared that when they were asked upon, uh, Sharon needed the meals provided, everyone was suddenly too busy. That's, that's not allowing our yeses to be yeses and our noes to be noes. That's not putting other people's first. That's pulling our needs first. We've ticked our box, but we're not going to actually do what we said we would do. Third and finally, we can be doing this on an individual level, taking responsibility. Examples are, as I've mentioned again, the meals thing. It's a very simple way to show you care. Invite someone around for a meal. Spend time. The other thing, spending time with someone. Invite someone for a walk, for a coffee. Home groups are a fantastic way of connecting as the church family. The biggest part of the church family I feel connected to are the youth, and I see them must be two or three times a week, and when it's their holidays, it's every day. <laughs> and there's nothing more than feeling like a family when you're actually spending that time of wanting to be together. So it's important that we're not just doing home groups, but we're doing life outside of those home groups, life outside of a church during a week together. I want to give one example which um, I remember this morning. Uh, it happened over 10 years ago. I was a teenager, a young teenager, about 13, 14. And my mum was going through a really stressful time in her life. And she'd shared that with a close friend of hers at church. Uh, the lady's name was Chris Clarkson, lovely lady. She was in her 60s, and my mum was in her 40s at the time. And my mum just said, the stress all needs to happen. Now, in England, we don't have domestic workers. We clean our own houses. It's too expensive to pay a cleaner. And my mum needed to clean the house. The house needed a clean, and there's so many other things she needed to do um, as well. And she kind of shared how busy she was with her friend. And then at 1 o'clock that Sunday, her friend walks up with a bucket, rubber gloves, and cleaning materials, and just said, I'm here to clean your loose. That had a huge effect on my mum. That had a huge effect on me. I'm actually welling up a tiny bit. Because it shows the love that someone had for our family. It showed that we weren't just going to this church, but we were a part of it. That someone cared so much that we're willing to do one of the worst tasks in cleaning of your loo. Now, my mum's response also was challenging. Because she said, there's no way I'm letting you clean my toilets. No way. You're not allowed to clean my loo. This is something I've got to do. I mean, Chris just turned and said, Sylvia, don't take this blessing away from me. Do not stop me from giving a blessing to someone else. When we think about it, it's so easy to do. But are we going to do that? Do we care? I want to end with comparing my relationship with my girlfriend to the relationship we have with each other in church. Now, bear with me. So my girlfriend, Rosie, is in Cape Town. Uh, coming to the end of her studies. And we see each other every two months. It's pretty horrific. But whilst we're apart, we're in contact with each other, ringing each other every other day at least. Sometimes we can do a bit more than that, but it's every other day at least. And we do that because we care for each other. We do that because if we fall out of contact, as we've done on an occasion every now and then, and we don't speak for more than three or four days, when we next talk, it becomes oh so much harder to actually share what's going on in our lives. Because so much has happened, it's where do you begin? Oh, well, there's no point in filling you in because something else is going to happen the next day. And it, the caring kind of drops. And then it affects our relationship, and that drops. Now, 
if I compare that to church, we see each other every week, but we only see each other 52 times in a year. 52 times in a year. Does a family look like that? Is that what you envision a family to be, where we see each other 52 times a year and then we have a week off? Or is it that focus on actually we're living this life together, we spend more time with each other? I think one of the reasons our church weekend is so loved by many is that when we're there, we get that time. We get that time to talk. We get that time to open up. We get that time to share. So my, my challenge really is, if we really care about each other, we really need to be giving that time as well, as an importance, actually getting to know one another. I want everyone to leave today thinking about what we can each do to care more for others. Are we really focused on everyone around us, or do we just look after ourselves? Let's make a decision not to conform to society where we put ourselves first and we only do something which benefits ourselves, but rather let's show society how family really works. Let's take Jesus' challenge to do as he does, to love and to serve one another. Can we pray? Father, we thank you that you sent your son not only to give us wisdom and teachings about you and about your plan for us and your will, Lord, but to show us how it's done. Help us each to, to listen to that, but not only to hear it, but to take it to our hearts. Father, we pray that whenever we get those moments of not serving you, not doing your will, not fulfilling what it means to be your church, your family, Lord, but we just get a prompting from your Holy Spirit that guides us in the right direction. We really pray that moving forward from here that we can be that caring family. Lord, we know it starts with a change in our hearts, Father, and we just pray for that change. Our hearts are focused on each other and not ourselves, Lord. Amen.